relief factor, pain relief that's natural, pain relief that works, and pain relief that attacks the source of the pain. That's the experience of tens of thousands of Americans who are taking Relief Factor right now. See their incredible video endorsements at relieffactor.com and then order your three-week quick starter pack for just $19.95. That's less than a dollar a day. Find out if it can work for you like it works for me by ordering your three-week quick starter pack today. Relieffactor.com, relieffactor.com. Be the next success story. Of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world, she walks into mine. Impressive. Most impressive. See things you people wouldn't believe. You want to talk to God? Let's go see him together. Describe in single words only the good things that come into your mind about your mother. Your mother? Yeah. Let me tell you about my mother. How to start a movie with a bang, literally. Welcome, dear friends, to a very special extended episode of making movies great again. Why? Because uh, it's the best movie ever made. At least that's what I think so. My co-host may have another opinion, and that's why this is so much fun. He's known as Mr. Reagan, the host of the Mr. Reagan channel and the Alpha Critic, Chris Coles. Is it true that prior to our discussion last week, you not had not seen the greatest movie made by man? Yeah, what was weird was that I hadn't seen alien all the way through that we watched last week and this but i had seen probably i would say 90 percent of alien i'd seen most of alien at various times blade runner i i would say i'd seen 10 percent of it wow this was truly an experience i mean it was I, honestly like this was one of the most profound cinema experiences i have had in a very long time all right i'm so glad to hear that so so um i watched i've seen this film maybe 200 times i sat down with my son we watched the final cut which is ridley scott's final version from 2007 or 2009 anyway we were smoking multiple cigars in a darkened room it was fabulous what was your experience what were the conditions on under which you watched blade runner and which version if you recall did you watch I did watch it late last night. I had everything dark. Uh, the My windows do not actually have curtains, so I was looking out at the metropolis that is Los Angeles. <laughs> so you right? saw all the, As, the flying cars going by. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I would look out. It was really <laughs> kind of weird because I'd be watching the film, and if I would look to my right, I would actually see something somewhat similar, at least – you know, as close as you can get in, in our actual world to what was on, on the screen. So that was a, a bizarre experience. But I watched the theatrical version. So with, I watched the version. With the voiceover. Yeah. I mean, it was as close to a film noir as you can get in the 1980s um, and, and not be cheesy or, or, you know, look like some kind of like remake of, the, of these old film noirs, but actually like a continuation, like an authentic continuation of that genre. All right, so let, let's start with, with your impressions. As somebody who came to the, the full experience um, newly last night, why, why, why are you so impressed? Talk to us about this, this reinvented modern noir. Did I say I was impressed? I think you said it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, is that what I said? No, uh, I, I will say I was impressed. I was impressed, and I, and I have to say that uh, it, it is – it is not what I expected it to be because Blade Runner is actually very uh, ingrained in the culture in many, many ways. It has inspired a lot of other work, and I will say it has inspired a lot of inferior work. Yeah. 
because because this is a very stylized film, very stylized to the point where I would look at something like this from the outside and and say, I there's no way that has a good story, right? They focus because because so it's much because on, so much is invested into the visuals. Exactly right. If you watch like an Oscar nominated film, right? All these Oscar nominated films, they're always really heavy on the acting, heavy on the cinematography, light on story. There's not really much of a good story there. This was so heavily invested in the visuals, the set design, you know, the the atmosphere, the cinematography, this kind of stuff. I just assumed that the story was some kind of like boring, uh, you know, I don't know, so maybe something philosophical, and it was philosophical, but it is a really great story. It's just a really good story to to tell. I mean, if if you read this as a book, I mean, I know it came from a novel originally, somewhat uh, changed, obviously, from the original, but. Uh, yeah, it would be a, it would just be a fun read. And so the story that they've got here is actually an excellent story. Uh, and so when you get done with this project, you feel satisfied that you've actually gone through a journey that was that was actually fun, which yeah. is definitely not what I expected with this. All right, so let's let's talk about the people responsible for it. Let's talk about Ridley Scott. Uh, we reviewed uh, Alien last week. This is uh, he he made this literally after making Alien, which was his second movie. So let's stop there for a second. This is Ridley Scott's third movie, okay? After The Duelist, Alien, he just finished this. He'd just been hired, just been hired to direct Dune, okay? Uh, so he was going from Alien to Dune. His elder brother dies suddenly from cancer. He's kind of in a meltdown, and Dune's taking too long, and so he, he, he refused. He refused Blade Runner, and then he says, i got to get to work. i gotta, I got to you know, get away from this horror of my brother just dying, and he picks up Dune. And there's all – well, talk about the horrors of making the movie, the various scripts, uh, the first script writer, Fancher, who was fired, Peebles, who comes in. But let's just stop for a second that, yes, he'd made hundreds of commercials. This was Ridley Scott's third movie, Chris. That's incredible because the special effects here are pretty dang seamless. I mean, yeah. if you talk about the models or the map paintings, and here's what's so impressive to me about this film. I mean, beyond just the fact that it's super stylized and it's got a great story, which to me is, is so hard to find, so hard to find. And I, I would actually say that of all the films I've ever seen in my life, this film does that the best. You, it, mean, you, mean, you, mean, combined, you mean combining it? Yeah, it weaves an excellent story into something that's so unbelievably stylized, it's basically unrecognizable to right. our modern sensibilities. And it does look like a version of the future that could exist. I think it's supposed to be 2019. We did not, fortunately, <laughs> we did not end up in this world. But there is so much about this world that is so distinctly different. I mean, it really is like a completely other universe. And there are so many little details that have to be designed for this project. I mean, even the way that this uh, you know pleasure android chick just spray paints her eyes uh, and gives you gives her that black sort of messy mascara look. It, it's just like who thought thinks of that kind of yeah. thing? You know what I mean? It's just such an alien world, and they do such a an absolutely amazing job of it. Uh, and the and the reason I brought up Hugh Ferris before the show, there's this guy Hugh Ferris. And he designed – this is from, the, I think, the 1920s, 1930s. He would draw these sketches of a futuristic world. I don't know if you've seen the movie Metropolis. Of course. When, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So do, do you guys have pictures of his actual drawings? Yeah, there we go. So he drew these skyscraper-type buildings and these Metropolis-type cities, like, like the movie Metropolis, which I think was 1929, uh, German expressionist Yeah, film. where, where C, C-3PO comes from the gold android in Metropolis. Yes, right, exactly, yeah, yeah. And, and although it's a female, I think, in the yeah. original movie, Metropolis. Well, Hugh Ferris had these sketches, and I couldn't, as I, and I used to love these sketches. I thought they were absolutely brilliant when I was in college. Back did, when did, I was in did, college he, did he influence Metropolis, or it just looks like Metropolis? Because I'm not familiar. I, I'm not sure. I, I, I think he may have influenced Metropolis, but it looks very much like he influenced the architecture in Blade Runner. Yeah. And I'm looking at this movie and I'm thinking, oh, those, those look like they were taken almost directly from these Hugh Ferris drawings from back in the day. I, they, just, they just picked up so many interesting visuals, so many interesting ideas that ended up being so beautiful and working seamlessly together with the special effects like the flying cars. I couldn't even tell – 
really how they did that. I must, it must be blue screen or something. But it's, it was actually it cranes. It was actually oh, it was a crane. This, this okay. is a crane. This is a crane with a oh. life-size spinner with fire extinguishers being the retro rockets. It's just it's stunning. This stuff. But like this one, like it's it's flying past you, and you get like a lens flare and everything. Right. I mean, it looks it looks unbelievable for the right. for the time all right we'll, we'll talk about the details we'll talk about the big big plot we'll talk about the acting and whether or not a certain detective is a replicant we are making movies great again with my buddy mr reagan chris coles the host of the mr reagan channel on youtube subscribe today follow him on alpha critic as well on twitter mr reagan usa if you enjoy making movies one-on-one you can subscribe to this podcast it's absolutely free go to spotify go to apple plug in my name sebastian gawker america first you'll find it there it's absolutely free leave us a five-star review and then share the links with your friends don't ever miss an episode of making movies great again because you'll regret it got on the scales again today i've lost another two and a half pounds guys that's that's beyond my wildest dream i'm pushing 35 pounds i've lost in less than three months how because her phd weight loss and nutrition system is super easy no calorie counting no stupid starvation diets and no craves it's the easiest it's the only diet i've been on ever that truly works 20 years of trying to lose the weight I'm now within striking distance of my target weight. My wife is ecstatic. And even Mike Gallagher, he's lost 50 pounds. Find out for yourself. It's an amazing system. Please call 828-552-3333. Book your first consultation. Their advisors stick with you through the whole process. They talk to you every week. It really, really works. I have not felt this good in over 20 years. That's 828 828- five five two three 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 or just go to their website my phd weightloss.com that's my phd weightloss.com you will not regret it all right let's talk about the uh, the little details many of which you know they're amazing production designers special effects people but a lot of the stuff actually came from the actors themselves we'll talk about Rutger Hauer's incredible contribution to the finale of the movie but Edward Olmos who plays Gaff um the the you know the monosyllabic um cop that that ropes in Decker to come back uh, he his opening lines are called gutter speak mishmash let's play this because there, there's something a little personal for me here let's play this little cut hey he said you're under arrest mr decker got the wrong guy pal low five he say you brain runner. Tell him I'm eating. Captain Brian Stoker. Any of my Brian, huh? Captain Brian Stoker. Lofos nehojmar tevoj a blade runner. That's actually Hungarian. So Edward Olmos, <laughs> it's actually rude. It, it means uh, horses... Um, Horse's sexual organ. It's a phrase in Hungary. If you don't believe something, instead of saying BS, you say horse's sexual organ. It's, it's very yeah. colloquial. He says, horse's sexual organ, you are the Blade Runner. So Edward Olmos would actually go off, take bits of Hungarian, bits of Jap- Japanese, learn them phonetically, and they turn this into this modern gutter speak from Blade Runner. Just the, just the, the level of attention, Chris. No, that's very cool. I mean, I, yeah, every you're right. The level of attention, the, the fact that they live in a universe in which Hungarian and Japanese and German and all these languages get <laughs> yeah. mixed, it's such a it's such a bizarre idea. But you know, you could see it in the '80s that the world was becoming more uh, combined, like you know, you more multi-ethnic and this kind of thing. So, you know, it was conceivable, I suppose, back then. But then, like, look at her look. Like, everything – this is such a bizarre film because I was saying, like, they, they seem to draw the inspiration from the architecture from, like, the 1930s. Yes. A lot of stuff seems to be that kind of almost uh, art deco style. Utterly. Utterly. Yeah, and, and they have some, some – some of the cars look like they were from the 40s and everything. Yep. I mean, I mean, whoever designed this film – <clears throat> if you would have given me a list of the ideas that they had, I would have said there's no way this is going to work together. But somehow with the gritty look that they have, it all works 
beautifully. And she, you know, I've seen pictures of her before. I didn't think she was particularly beautiful. But watching the film, I think it must be the contrast between the world and what she looks like. She's so elegant in the movie. She is genuinely beautiful when you watch the film. Let's let's talk about Sean Young for a moment because because her, you know, she gets a lot of – grief for you know they had no chemistry harrison really didn't mm-hmm. like her uh, she went off the deep end later had run-ins with the law but in this movie when she walks out into this room it's it is the femme fatale from the 1930s movie noir i mean the clothing the hair i mean utter perfection but then when she sits down for the voight test when she is being, you know, analyzed for being an android, her movements, just the way she lights the cigarette, it is, it, it's like a robot. It's so controlled, the flame, the cigarette. Uh, you know, this woman was 22 when she made this film. Mm. Harrison was 42. You've got to give her credit, Chris. I mean, as an actor, impressive, right? Not just, I mean, it's, there, there were several actors that sort of embodied this concept of like being slightly different, slightly yes. off. I would say every every one of the androids did this perfectly, uh, and her character was a, a, like more elegant than a, nat, a normal woman would be. And I would say, having dated a lot of Russian girls, I, I have dated very similar women to this. So, <laughs> so, Are you but, sure they but, weren't Nexus Six? No, I am not sure. Uh, it's, it's quite possible. Uh, uh, but yeah, I don't know. She embodied exactly what, whatever it was that needed to be portrayed on film. You know, because so the weird thing is you look in hindsight in a movie and you say, oh, I would have done this differently. I would have done that differently or whatever. Sometimes it's very hard in the moment to understand exactly how something's going to come across. Yeah. And this film, it almost seems like how could they possibly know that this was the perfect way to – present this or you know in this case how would she know it was exactly the perfect way to present this character and she just did i don't don't know how she did it i honestly don't know how she did it it's just like sometimes you just throw something out there and it works you know And, and on the flip side so she's very robotic very controlled kind of porcelain like a china doll but later on when they're talking about her implanted memories and tyrell's niece she she can do emotion as well. Rachel Young at, at twenty two. She can that that line. I mean, it's also the writing, Chris. But when when he says it's not part of the business, and she says I am the business. Mm-hmm. I mean, that line is just perfectly delivered. I mean, you're the actor. You tell me. No, yeah. You're, well, that's it's a profound line as well, right? Because she's saying she's the business. She's she's. You know, he's got to kill her. Right. Right. And uh, so she knows that he's going to do that, or at least that's what he's supposed to do. Uh, the moment that she finds out for sure that she's an android and that, you know, single tear comes down and she, you know, she does that also perfectly. Yeah. Like she's trying to control her emotion, but she can't. What's really weird about this movie is you've got a great story, really, truly a great story. You've got a, a fantastic world, as I've said, and, and very stylized, and yet these things seem to work well together. But then you've got something extra on top of that, and I mentioned it before. You have a sort of philosophical theme to this film that is a philosophical theme that's timeless, right, which is the idea that we have a sort of a finite amount of time in this world, and you have to do something with it. Right. And it is an incredibly profound thing to to have to think about, to ever have to think about in your life. We try to avoid thinking about it because, you know, that would be very depressing if we kept, kept thinking about how we we're going to die all the time. Right. But you're you're faced with it in this film constantly because they've only got four years. And, you know, when she's talking about that and when she's talking about all the you know, how the, he, he's supposed to kill her and stuff like that. I normally don't really care about movies that go into a deep philosophical thought about androids because androids to me are like toasters. You know, yeah. they don't really they don't they're just objects that 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 seem to be human but they're yeah, it's not. Just, it's a simulation. It's a machine that's simulating. It's, just, it's it's like a video game or something. Don't right. you shouldn't get too attached to a video game character. I mean, you can temporarily or you know, a movie character. They do such a good job of this in this movie that it almost feels like you know, you, 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 you maybe do want to ask that question, do these androids have souls? Well, this is, I mean, this is the deeper, it's not really banged over the head as the audience mm-hmm. member, but the, the deeper theme here is what does it mean to be human? And Rutger Hauer, before he passed, 
he gave an interview where he said the androids were all amazing characters, and and mm. and the the Deckard character is such a dumb character. He's so stupid. He gets a gun put to his head, and then he f's the washing machine. He falls in love with the washing machine. I mean that that's Rutger Hauer, but there's something to it. I mean the weakest character in it is is the guy who is the protagonist. We are talking movies, making them great again with my buddy Chris Coles. If you enjoy America First, make sure you wear America First and that you have America First in your pocket. How do you do that? You go to sebgorkastore.com. Our hottest selling item right now is the FBI t-shirt jointly released with Chris Plant, but this time it stands for Fascist Bureau of Intimidation. Our latest latest item is our Elon Musk t-shirt. Hashtag Twitter files. Are you paying attention? You can get it as a mug as well. And then you ask for it, the challenge coin. America First, stay frosty with President Trump. All available at sebgorkastore.com. That's S-E-B-G-O-R-K-A, sebgorkastore.com. MyPillow is having their biggest sheet sale of the year. You all have helped build MyPillow into the amazing company that it is today. Now, Mike Lindell, my buddy, the inventor and CEO, wants to give back to my listeners. The Percal bedsheet set is available in a variety of colors and sizes, and they're on sale. For example, the queen size is regularly $89.98, but now for you, just $39.98 with your listener promo. Order now, because when they're gone, they're gone. The Percal sheets are breathable and have a cool, crisp feel. They come with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. It's a limited supply, so be sure to order now. Call 1-800-829-8468, promo code Gorka, or just go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio list square, and plug in G-O-R-K-A. That's 1-800-829-8468 or MyPillow.com, code Gorka. Don't forget, if you enjoy America First, you can follow us on all social media platforms that matter. We are everywhere. We are on True Social, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Parler, on Getter, on Telegram, on CloudHub. You can watch us. We are a TV show on SalemNewsChannel.com. And for my personal platform with the unique content and access, it's the Substack, SebastianGorka.Substack.com. That's SebastianGorka.Substack.com. Let's have a little clip of Rachel uh, talking about fake owls. Play cut. Do you like our owl? It's artificial. Of course it is. Must be expensive. Very. I'm Rachel. Deckard. Just the way she walks is like a robot, an elegant robot, not, not a C-3PO, just beautiful performance. But in the background, what do we hear? Van Gelis. Let's talk about the music. Uh, without the music, this would be half the movie, would it not, Chris? You know what's odd? I did notice the music when I was watching Good. it because it was something that I thought this inspired a lot of mm-hmm. 80s music. This inspired a lot of the, the kinds of music that you would hear in films. What, what's odd about this movie, the music, the setting, it was all copied. You, you can see the influences in so many other projects. And, you know, actually at one point I'm watching this movie and I'm thinking this movie may have – messed up other projects a little bit <laughs> really because why because it, because it's too influential it's so well it's so ambitious it does so many things that shouldn't work but do right there are things in this film that i would say if you told me that you wanted to make a movie like this i would say no that's that's going to be terrible that's you're not going to be able to do that well enough for for that to be pulled off right but because they're able to pull it off it's sort of like a beautiful woman wearing uh, a, a bizarre-looking bit of fashion. She can put, she can pull it off, but then you get regular folks wearing it, and it looks terrible. And this, I notice this happens sometimes in fashion, where where like super beautiful women will wear particularly weird. Like you remember the onesie trend? Everybody's yes. wearing a onesie. Yeah. I had a girl in LA. I, I had a friend in LA. She was a model, and she used to wear this onesie all the time. She looked amazing. She looked super cute. And then I would see these other girls wearing it, and, I, and they look just like, you know, they look like homeless people. And say, okay, you cannot wear – the onesie doesn't work. And I feel like in the 80s there were so many movies that were influenced by Blade Runner but couldn't do it to that caliber 
And, you know, you take something as stylized as this, and it's it's such a hard thing to pull off. There's nothing... The, the so music is part of that. There, there's so much layering here. I remember watching a documentary where the, the designer said, you know, they had parking meters, because this was all filmed outside in, at nighttime on the back lot. They put in parking meters, and they had multiple layers of decals, credit card slots, LCD readouts on the parking meter, which you never see. You, you never even see it in the movie, but they spent hours and hours and how much money putting the details. There's so many layers here. And the weird thing is, I, I, just to concur with what you're saying, you never go, well, that's a crappy you know, thing, or that, that doesn't fit, or, or that kind of... There's no moment where you say, uh, that's hinky, right? No, 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 no. And I mean, just look like who would have thought let's give her a transparent <laughs> plastic jacket so that when he shoots her, yeah. you can see the blood explode inside the jacket. I mean, just I mean, I don't the the, the planning that must have gone into this film is just like unlike anything I've ever seen. Now, do you, do you know the story of this scene here? The woman you're seeing not. right now is a stunt woman. Okay, Mm -hmm. and they put a really bad wig on her, and you could see it wasn't her face. So for the final cut, uh, they they bought the actress back. They bought Joanne Cassidy back 20, 30 years later, filmed her face, and CGI'd it back onto the stunt woman so they could fix it 40 years later. And they did the same thing with Harrison Ford when he goes to Ben Hassan's fake snake shop, in the original cut, I, I think you saw the theatrical one, through the mm-hmm. window, you, 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 you see his lip movements, and the lip movements don't match the, the, the sound of the dialogue. So they, I did notice that, and I thought it was weird. Right. Yes. So what did I they, didn't what notice is, her what, face. I didn't notice her face. So watch the final cut, and it's all fixed. Okay. And you're going, how did they fix Harrison Ford's lips 40 years <laughs> right. later? They brought his son in, who looks like Harrison, did a 360 computer scan and imposed his lips and face onto Harrison. And that's how they oh, fixed brilliant. it. Isn't that, I mean, that, that, forget what George Lucas did to Star Wars. <laughs> George, know. you screwed the pooch on that one. This is how you fix it in real movies. All right, we are talking to our buddy Chris Coles. My gosh, we need to do this for the next three hours. We got time. We can do it. This is America First. Making movies are great again. Coming to you from the relieffactor.com studios. Relief Factor, pain relief that works, pain relief that's real, pain relief that is liberating half a million Americans across the country right now, including people like me, but not just me. Leah from Ohio. This is her story. One Sunday morning, I sat on my couch in so much pain I was in tears. That's the day I ordered Relief Factor. Following directions in eight days, I found relief only to get better and better. I'm a believer 100%. That should be your story. That could be your story, but there's only one way to find out. But it's super easy. Go to relieffactor.com right now. Order the three-week quick starter pack. It'll be at your door in three days or less. Take it morning and evening like I do. And I promise you, Dr. G's guarantee, by the end of those three weeks, you will know whether it works for you, like it works for me, Leah, and 500,000 of your fellow Americans. You've waited long enough. You deserve to know. Call right now, 800-500-8384, relieffactor.com. That's 800-500-8384, relieffactor.com. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. I need you, Dex. This is a bad one. The worst yet. I need the old Blade Runner. I need your magic. It was quit when I come in here, Brian. I'm twice as quit now. Stop right where you are. 
You know the score, pal? You're not cop, you're little people. Well, that's Captain Bryant's office built inside Union Station in L.A., where they made a deal with the railway station that they would have to build that whole office, and the station gets to keep it. It is today one of the ticket booths in the Union Station in L.A. If you're into Blade Runner, go and see it. I've seen it. It's there. It's real. Uh, let's talk about the rest of the cast. M. Emmett Walsh, uh, Byron James. Uh, I think this must have been her first or second movie. You, l- you look at Pris and Daryl Hannah. As an actor, talk to me about about these performances yeah i mean it's similar to what i said about the last couple of films there is this sort of cavalier nature to the way that people talk i know this is kind of supposed to be this stylized film noir but it everything does come across as naturalistic and it's you know in a way that they don't really uh, act and people don't really act this way anymore and i really loved it i especially loved when the uh, cop was going through the list of androids that he has to kill i mean just the way that he talks about it is uh, it, I I felt like it was re- like I was really you know I was really there. This is a real life thing. These guys are are you know who they are pretending to be, and I don't know I don't know how they cast this so unbelievably well. Rutger Hauer, like how do you tell people okay act a little bit unnatural like an android, <laughs> but, but don't but don't overdo you, it. But don't overdo it. Yeah yeah, just so subtly that people get the hint that there's something a little bit off. But, you know, and this guy, he, he was in like everything in the 80s, yes. like being a psycho. You know, he just he pulls off that weird. I think there's something about in the 1980s, there was something about how they figured out that, like, OK, let's cast normal looking folks to be the good guys. And let's cast people that are a bit off looking to be the bad guys. And now it's sort of reversed. They're like, oh, the good guys are, are all the uh, like weird looking folks. And the bad guys are all like the very handsome, attractive people. They, they, they kind of messed it up in our world, you know, in, in our current time, uh, you know, Hollywood. Uh, I think Harrison Ford, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't have thought Harrison Ford would be a good choice just because he was so famous from Star Wars. This, and this, 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 this moment here with the blood yeah. in the glass. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm what sorry. What a subtle thing. What an amazing moment. You got, you got, you're holding a little bit of fake blood in your mouth. You've got it lit by Cronenworth so perfectly that you can actually pick it up. And you just subtly let that blood trickle into the spirit glass. I mean, that moment. That moment. When you talk about Rutger Hauer and the, the, the little quirky moments, I, 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 I must have been awful for my son because every three seconds I was, you know, prompting something and say, watch this, watch this, or I was saying the lines back. At the end, when, when Rutger's haunting him and he's looking out of the, the window and, and, you know, Deckard's hanging off the ceiling, as soon as, just as, before he comes back in, he does this weird thing where he's, his head is cocked sideways like an animal. Mm-hmm. He closes his eyes and then he whips his head back in. And it's just like, it's perfection. This, he's a yeah. human, but he has this, this half quarter of a second of animalistic muscle movement. And it's yeah. just stunning, Chris. Yeah, no, no, no. It, it, all the performances are perfect. The casting is all perfect. I was going to say with Harrison Ford, Harrison Ford doesn't look like a cool 80s guy, no. actually. Harrison Ford has a timeless quality to him. This is why he works as Indiana Jones, because he looks like he could be from the 30s or 40s. And he also looks like he could be a space pirate. I mean, he's got this like timeless look that works so perfectly. He's not like the most handsome guy in the room, but he does have this sort of rugged handsomeness. And he's just he's just uh, he's just like almost like an everyman. He's universal now what do you think as an actor who's been on sets who's worked on sets and had to you know hurry up and wait you know it's very clear if you listen to the interviews with with ridley uh, harrison ford is a is a is a dick i mean uh, let's play a little cut this is this is from our buddy razor fists uh documentary we'll talk about it in a second but this is harrison ford on uh, um having disagreements with the director this is his commitment to the art form play cut there's a part of you that, that wants to be totally in sync with the director's ambition. And then there's a perverse part of you that says, uh, it doesn't really matter. What matters is being there. And uh, it's just a movie. Let him worry about it. 
So we had to beep it out there. Harrison Ford, he, he's always like this in interviews. He actually said, F it, it's just a movie. Let the director work it out. I mean, they hated each other because Ridley would take six hours to set up a shot. Harrison was waiting for direction like he got from Spielberg and Lucas. Do you think the fact that there was such animosity between them actually played into the success of this nouvelle noir? No, I, I don't think so. I don't think that you need to have an antagonistic relationship on set. I don't think that would necessarily help. Uh, I, I don't think you need to be best friends either. I think that um, there are some actors that they're just their charisma is so strong. Uh, the, you know, the way that they look, the way that they sound, like Harrison Ford's, Ford's voice is, you know, it's an iconic voice. The way yeah. he talks is is brilliant. Uh, and he's got this kind of everyman look, and that combination I think is really powerful. He, he you know, he, anything that he's in, you're going to enjoy his performance. It doesn't, and and like I said, there's this cavalier nature to the way he acts. So I mean, at the at the end of the day, really, all he does need to do is show up, just say the lines. <laughs> this this is how I, I, I okay. When I first started acting, I was in uh, I was living with this Australian guy, and he had studied acting for theater because his parents owned an actual like drama theater in Australia. And I would talk to him about how to do voiceover work. And we went through and I explained to him this idea that like, uh, you know, I don't, when I'm doing auditions, I don't go in and my, my theory isn't, Oh, I'm going to go in and I'm going to be this character. I'm going to like perform. I'm just going to say the lines as if I were there in that circumstance myself. And that's it. Like, what? How would I respond? Like, if I'm with this girl and you know I'm in love with so her. So you you like, you play me... Chris. You put Chris into that environment. Yeah, yeah. I just play. I just be myself, really. And uh, and and then we'll see how it goes. And I would get a lot more roles than a lot of my friends who would push it and try to be something and try to do something. They'd try too hard, you know. And it, it, it there's an authenticity to just being yourself in a situation. Just imagine yourself in that situation. Then how would I act? How would I stutter? How like when you? Here's a trick for acting, guys. Look away from who you're talking to. Don't don't always stare at them constantly. Like, you know, I'm not always looking at camera. I'm not always looking at you when I'm talking. Right. A lot of times I'm looking over here thinking about something, and then I look back. Right? Or if you say something to me, like if you say something, if you say hi, how you doing? And I say yeah, I'm doing good. It seems unnatural. But if you say hi, how you're doing? I look away for a second. I look back. I'm like yeah, I'm alright. It yeah. looks like I thought about right. it, right? So just looking away from people is, is such a simple trick because we do it in real life. So just do what you do in real life and just do it in front of the camera. <laughs> Come on, guys. Pay attention. You're getting uh, you're getting acting <laughs> classes as well as movie reviews from That's Chris right. Coles, a.k.a. Mr. Reagan. Mr. Reagan, the YouTube channel. you got to subscribe right now. It's absolutely superb. Also, the Alpha Critic and on Twitter, Mr. US, Mr. Reagan USA. I'm Sebastian Gorka. This is Making Movies Great Again, coming to you live from the ReliefFactor.com studios. Relief Factor, pain relief that works, pain relief that's real, pain relief that is liberating half a million Americans right now, me included. But it's not just me. It's people like Reggie from Florida. This is Reggie. Reggie's testimonial. I have a lot of pain from aging, and after only four days of using Refactor, I'm already experiencing less pain and stiffness. Can't wait to see how I feel in a couple more weeks. Refactor is a blessing sent by God. Amazing words. Find out for yourself. There's only one way, but it's super easy. Order the three-week quick starter pack at relieffactor.com. It'll be at your door in three days or less. Take it morning and evening like I do, and I promise you, Dr. G's guarantee by the end of those three weeks, you will know whether it works for you like it works for me, Reggie, and half a million of your fellow Americans. Do it today. relieffactor.com, 800-583-84, relieffactor.com relieffactor.com I think this is maybe her first movie or second movie I don't know when Splash came out Daryl Hannah we, you're talking about this this combination of naturalistic oh by the way the naturalism I think the best naturalism is when Deckard is pretending to be from the confidential committee for moral abuses he puts on that geeky squeaky <laughs> voice and he's in Joanne Cassidy's dressing room and she's getting naked her her acting style with him I mean, that's a real person who's just pissed off and suspicious. That, you, you, you can't detect any acting there. Joanne Cassidy is just, it's just that, you know, she's in that environment and she's reacting. And what's weird is that she is actually one of the androids. Yeah, right. But she's, she, she acts more human than yes. a normal human you would expect in a movie. So much so that I didn't even 
I wasn't ready for the moment that she turned out to be an android. Right. I thought he was going to her to find out, you know, who the android girl is. I didn't realize it was her until she attacked him. And she, like, punches him in the neck or something like that. In the throat. Thinking, right in the throat. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right in the throat. It's so good. <laughs> Such a good moment. And, uh, yeah, and, and you don't notice it because you're paying attention to somebody, something else about her in the very moment that she hits him. So your, your attention is completely focused on that if you're a guy. Probably if you're a girl, too. <laughs> and then, boom, you're like, whoa, wait, what's going on? You're, you're like, it's crazy. It was, it's, it's so smart how they, how they did that scene. Uh, let's let's talk about the other. Fe- there was actually a third female android written into the script, uh, Mary. Uh, that's why they talk about six replicants at the beginning, and and then there's only actually five. Uh, they had to write her out of the movie because they basically run out of they ran out of money. All right, so Splash was two years after this. This was only her third movie. Let's talk about Daryl Hannah. Um, Daryl Hannah, when she's interacting with J.F. Sebastian, uh, William Sanderson. Uh, it's 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 perhaps one of the most chilling characters in the movie because she switches on and off she switches on the friendly little girl that he's bumped into with the psycho killer when he looks away and the eyes change and the expression just watching her eyes in that interaction with jf sebastian gotta say that is some very serious acting there Oh yeah, 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 that that flip. So she's being flirtatious, she's yeah. being vulnerable, and he obviously is the kind of. I mean, the, his acting is actually fantastic. I mean, he's yeah. the kind of guy you would expect. Oh wow, like you know, I I can help this girl out. I got a little bit of a break here. Like she's a beautiful woman, and yeah, that 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 is such a perfect turn where she's smiling and happy, and then just and then he and then he looks away. Cold. He looks away, mm-hmm. and then all emotion drains from her face, mm-hmm. and she looks like a cold stone killer. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it makes sense that she kind of became one of, if not the most sort of iconic, beautiful girl of the 80s. Like, she, she became one of these girls that was, were, was cast just for being phenomenally beautiful. But she had this, uh, this voice and this attitude that was so feminine. I mean, she was just unbelievably feminine. And I don't think you get that today anymore. They don't really want to cast nope. feminine women. Uh, but, yeah, she, was, she had this vulnerability that, uh, that made her eminently watchable. And she's in so many great, great films in the 80s because of this. All right, we, we have to spend some time on uh, the man who steals the show, utterly, uh, Rutger, the, uh, the Dutch theater actor. Big, big, big name in, in Holland um, before Blade Runner anyway. My son said to me, for him, so there's many ways to, to slice this onion. So first things first, this is based on Philip K. Dick's novel, uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Read the book. It's very different. Deckard is married. He's not a replicant, absolutely not a replicant. Uh, it has, you know, Roy Batty is a, a little character in the novel. He's basically a, a thug, a gang leader. This is the man behind amazing stories, Total Recall and, and, and many, many others, uh, The Man in the High Tower, so forth. Uh, Roy, Roy, my, my son said, well, you can look at this movie and talk about what it means to be a human. The original book was about the humanization, the, the, the humanization of, a, of, of a man whose job it is to kill things that look like human beings, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Ridley Scott didn't really want to do the intellectual book that was Philip K. Dick's. Uh, he summarized it in a sentence. This is a story about a hunter falling in love with the hunted. Kind of simplistic, but you know he's the director. He gets to do that. And then my son says, this scene, oh my gosh, Eric, you are a flipping mind reader. This scene between um, Joe Turkel, between Tyrell and Roy Batty, the, the leader of the Nexus Six, my son, my son said, this whole movie is about the father-son relationship. Mm-hmm. It is about a weak father who has given birth to a much more powerful son. The son comes back. This is the prodigal son. This is, this is a, a, a permutation of the prodigal son. And the weak father is trying to manipulate the son here, not to kill him, to lure him on with, you have done such marvelous things a rebel in your time appeal to his ego but it's not enough the son wants more i want life and then he kills him um 
There are so many ways to look at this film, aren't there, Chris? You know, th- this was such a powerful part of the movie. You know, like you said, father-son relationship, but also the senseless murder of the father because you know he didn't. He obviously doesn't care for his creations no. in the same way that you know a normal father would care about their children, and <clears throat> that is. You know, we we talk about this a lot in politics about how children will become disturbed, messed up, criminal, whatever, without a good father. Good father is absolutely critical to raising any child. And you can see the vulnerability in this android, which is crazy. This was Nexus 6, right? This was the sort of ultimate creation. This was a creation that was the most human possible. And I think more 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 human than human. More human than human. And Rachel as well. Rachel yes. was a, a more advanced uh, android. The other – what's interesting, there's a moment when Daryl Hannah's character says uh, – uh, oh, they've killed off everybody but the two of them, uh, right. Daryl Hannah and, and Roy. And she says, oh, we're going to die. We're not intelligent enough. No, no, I said you know, we're, we stu- we we're stupid and then we'll we're die. We're stupid and we'll die. Yeah, we're stupid and we'll die. And he, and he, sa- he kind of like looks at her like, no, because he's not stupid actually. Yeah, right. He's – He's he's a level above the rest right. of them. So you get the sense that he's that this uh, puppet master has created all these unintelligent puppets. And you think about human beings and who who are the human beings that are actually the most emo- emotional, the most animalistic. It's human beings with a low IQ. If you have a low IQ, if you have like a, a low level of intelligence, you react emotionally to yeah. things. Yeah. If you have a high level of intelligence, like the super high level, like Einstein types. You're actually more robotic, which is weird. You become less human as you get more intelligent. It's very strange. But in this, it's almost this, It's almost kind of the same, right? This guy, is he's so smart, he's able to be philosophical. And like you say, he becomes more human than human, but he's only got a, a finite amount of time in this world. And so you know what he wants. He wants life. That, that's his goal. He cannot get it. And it is a tragic ending. It's actually, I would say this movie, in that sense, is a tragedy. There's two stories. There's the tragedy of the villain and there's the, I guess, redemption of the hero. He has his, you know, he's redeemed in the end, and he gets to sort of escape the life with, uh, with the woman that he loves. Let's let's put, put a couple of the images up that I sent you this morning, Eric. So I, I, I wanted to save this for later, but let's just talk about it. So let's talk about the arc of Roy Batty. This last scene on the rooftop, I mean, mm. the, these images are, are just, these, these could be paintings, uh the 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 close up the mm. the emphasis on death on life on the this this one i played with a little bit to make it look like a painting this is the iconic mm-hmm. picture of of deckard just about to fall off the top of the building the the constant christ like imagery the he's in the elevator coming down from Tyrell's he looks up and he's almost in a crucifix form then as as his body is closing down because it's getting to the 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 end of his four-year lifespan and he he pushes the nail through his hand of course a direct reference to the crucifixion and then at the end this is a man who wants life and then where does he find meaning he finds meaning in not killing the person who's been hunting him and saving the life of the person whose job it is to kill him. So all of this stuff sounds so heavy, uh, so convoluted, a little mm-hmm. bit uh, tropey, but, but the way it's handled in the film is it just, it doesn't, it doesn't hit you in waves. It's not unsubtle. And then to find out that the, the tears in rain speech will play in a second was written by Rutger Hauer in his trailer in the lunch break before it filmed because he'd been given a lot of techno babble stuff to read about spaceships. And he said, I said, I, he said in the interview, I just put a knife through this. I said, this is crap. Hey, Ridders, can I, can I write it? And the guy was a bit of a poet and, and, and playwright himself. And then he writes these lines. Let's, let's play the, the, uh, the, probably the most famous speech in all science fiction movies. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. (laughs) Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of a lion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the ten hours of gate. All those moments will be lost. In time, 
like tears in rain. Time to die. Beyond the writing, Chris, the delivery, that 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 momentary cough, like tears in rain the the pace which is an unusually slow pace but it's not it's not an irritatingly slow pace Uh, let's hear it for rutka honestly like what what brilliant casting i mean that guy i mean i didn't realize he had written that part of the, the film and it's like you said it's one of the most iconic lines in the film maybe in all sci-fi movie history uh you know i've heard it even before i watched this i'd obviously i'd heard that and he 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 delivers it beautifully he wrote it himself i mean you can't get better than that when you hire somebody right he's <laughs> he's bringing in but you know there's something very enigmatic about his story right i say it's a tragedy yeah. but he also has a redemption story as yes. well right he makes the decision at the end to save Decker as opposed to letting him fall or to kill him, even though he's his nemesis and he's killed his, you know, the, the woman he loves and everything. He saves him. He, he, he preserves the life that he can't keep himself. He still preserves some semblance of life. And that one redemptive moment, I think, is the same kind of redemptive moment that we need as human beings just generally. So it's a universal message. And then there's a moment where he dies and the dove is released. And I look at that, and this is kind of like a little bit weird, but I look at that as almost like, you know, his soul leaving his body. Wow. Right? He was I not like just that. an android. I like you know, that. He was, he, was a, he was a man in a way. And this or, was or, or he had, or he had, Or he had become a man. Exactly. It's like a Pinocchio story. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I didn't think about that until this moment. But yeah, that was like the soul leaving the body. And he maybe did get what he wanted in a way. He got to live on maybe in some kind of supernatural sense because he was more than just an android, you know. Amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. All right. Um, anything we've left out that you want to share with me, given that last night was the first time you saw it in one piece? Well, I will say that I wouldn't think that this film would work. Like I say, there was so much that was mysterious about the story of this villain. And there was so much that was referenced in the film that wasn't explained explicitly. And I would say this would be difficult for an audience to to understand upon first watching it. It's just so much at once, right? Such a profound experience to watch this film. But I think sometimes that works really well for films, and I think that it works so well in this film that maybe better than any film I've seen, and partially that's because of the stylized nature of the movie, uh, the stylized nature of some of this acting, like the way Rutger Hauer acts as a human but also as an android. And it just gives you an opportunity to think about profound questions and also just think about what this story meant and try to interpret what's going on. And so sometimes a little bit of mystery is actually works and is helpful in a story. And I think that this film does that better than anything I've ever watched. Well, one of the few meaningful things that Harrison Ford said in one of the few uh, seconds of any interview which he took seriously, he said about Blade Runner, he said, I'm good with ambiguity. Ambiguity can be good sometimes. And, and you don't, you don't mm-hmm. have to explain everything, do you, Chris? You don't have to explain everything right. in a story. That's absolutely right. And like I said, they do it better here than anything I've ever seen. All yeah. right. All right, guys, uh, we've talked about the movie enough. No, we haven't, uh, but we're running out of time. Uh, let's have a little last cut from Roy Batty, where he turns it on, and it's morbid humor. Play cut. Not very sporting to fire on an unarmed opponent. I thought you were supposed to be good. Aren't you the good man? Come on. Show me what you're made of. The iconic gun. I, I have one of them up here. You can, if you can show the camera. Can you pan up there? You probably can't even see it. I have my Blade Runner handgun. Let me get it right there. So we've got it in. He got it in the studio. Um, 
I get chills watching that. I must have seen that 200 times. I mean, the, the, seeing him say, not very sporting, shooting at an unarmed yeah. man. And then Deckard's like walking along the wall. And that He's line. He's like a cat playing with a mouse. Yeah. You know? to, oh, utterly. Well, you know, the laser for the cat. And then, and then that line, if there's anything that's, you know, overtly philosophical in the movie, it's only that line. I thought you were the good man. Aren't you supposed to be yeah. the good man? All right, let's ask the question. What is Deckard? As far as you're concerned, is he another robot? Is he a replicant? Is he a Nexus 6? This argument has raged for a long time until a, a recent article we'll show in a moment. Um, talk to us about, about uh, the identity of the protagonist. Now, I had heard before seeing the film that there was some speculation or was revealed at some point that Decker was, in fact, one of these replicants, uh, one of these androids. And so I went into the movie thinking that by the end of the film, I thought, well, no, he isn't. I don't know how that rumor got started. She asks him as a sort of philosophical question. Did you you know, did you test yourself on this thing? Which presents the question, but there's no indication whatsoever throughout the film that he is. And also, since she's the most advanced version and she's a test subject to see if you could fool a replicant into thinking that they had memories. Uh, you know, Decker's been around for years, right? He wouldn't have been that advanced and he wouldn't have undergone well, that, well, that, such we, an experience. We don't know. We, we don't know. Maybe he was grown out of a test tube last week. We, we don't know. So true. That's true. That, I don't. I, I, I think that he's human. That's my take on it. All right. Now, two, your take's more interesting, though, because you, you saw this when you were young. Yeah. And you say this is your favorite film of all time. All time. So I'm wondering, really, I think it's important to talk about the impact that it had on you when you first saw this and what you thought. Thank you. That's really that's very kind. Um, I, I have a very strange relationship with this movie. So it is my favorite movie of all time. Although I, you know, hugely into Raiders, Star Wars. I'm a sci-fi geek. The greatest film ever made is is Casablanca, but my favorite movie is Blade Runner, and it, and it's peculiar. It's it's a relationship that's at a kind of. <sighs> It's an, it's an intuitive level. It's, it's visceral. I don't have to think about it. There, there are other movies that get me super pumped. You know, if I'm watching Rambo or Rocky or whatever, there are other movies that are just, I, I marvel in the witticism of the script writing like Casablanca. Here, I, I don't have to think of, about it. Maybe it's because I was immersed in it from such an early age. I'm just it's part of my childhood. I, you know, Blade Runner is, I just relate. I just, I, I love this world. Um, I don't think about, I don't sit down. I'm not that kind of guy. I mean, I, I studied philosophy and theology in college, but I don't sit down and ponder the, the, the philosophical meaning of that line from Rutger Hauer, are you the good man? I don't sit down for two hours and then, you know, ruminate on that. I just say, wow, you know, and then I move on to the cat and mouse chase scene. So, for me, it's a kind of unthinking. It's like it's like a good friend. I, I don't analyze my relationship with a good friend. I'm just comfortable when I pick up the phone or when he walks through the door. A good friend is there for me. Blade Runner is is a good friend. Now let's let's talk about um, Rick Decker's identity because we have to. We're talking about Blade Runner. In the book, he's not. In the book, he's a human being with a crappy life, with a, uh, a crappy marriage. He's saving up to buy a, a goat, a real goat. He can't, af- he can't afford a real one yet. He's buying a, a, a robot goat. His animals are mostly extinct. Yeah, animals future. have been extinct because of the wars and the acid rain. It was very environmental. The original script was much more about the environmental message. That was Fanch's big thing. And the original script was com- the original script played in one room. It played in an apartment. It was like a, 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 a theater play. And then, and then Rid- Ridley asked the question, What's outside the window? <laughs> as soon as he asked that question, they had to build this massive universe, and that was Rid- Riddler's, Ridley Scott's uh, contribution. So um, in the movie, he's an android. Why? Because of two- Oh, you think so? No, no, you it's a so. fact. I mean, Ridley Scott okay. has, has said this. He said this. Mm. Um, let's put, it, put up the BBC uh, interview. So this was from 22 years ago. Uh, Blade Runner, Riddle Solved. Uh, Ridley Scott said, of course, he's a flipping android because I gave you two massive clues in the movie. Number one, the dream sequence when he falls asleep on the piano. What does he dream of? He dreams of a unicorn and then as they're escaping the apartment what does he find on the floor an origami unicorn made by gaff now how the hell does the partner of the blade runner know what he is dreaming about unless that dream was implanted right so so clue number one 
Uh, I didn't hear unicorn. I thought he said he was dreaming of music. I misunderstood I mis- oh, the oh, line. Okay, so, so no, he said that. He music. said that. Yeah. He, no, no, sorry. You're absolutely right. But in the, in, there's five, five versions of the movie. The, uh, okay. the, 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 the first director's cut injects a scene of a unicorn as he's dreaming falling asleep on the piano. So you actually see a unicorn running through a forest. Okay, and that in, in the in the in the original theatrical release that that doesn't okay. that's not in well, there. And, and then, but I do believe in the theater, theatrical release. You have to go back and see it after Rachel saves Deckard, mm-hmm. and they're at the apartment, and she asks him, "Would you come after me if I went north?" And he said, "No, I wouldn't. Somebody would." Mm-hmm. He walks around her, and you see his. Iris's glow. Ah, ah, okay. So just yeah, like Rachel's yeah. irises, just like Roy Batty's with the scene with Tyrell, you see that iris. Now, Harrison Ford said, oh, that was just an accident. That was just that I got into a Sean Young's light. No, 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 sorry. Ridley Scott doesn't have an iris flare by accident. He's the ultimate visual perfectionist. So Harrison, shut up, okay? So uh, Harrison Ford thinks that he's human. Everyone except Ridley Scott. Emmett Walsh, uh, the captain, uh, the original author, uh, yeah. Harrison Ford, everybody says he's a human, and, and so does Rutger Hauer, because Rutger Hauer, you've got to watch the, I'll send you the link to Rutger Hauer. There's no arc. There's no arc mm-hmm. for Deckard if he's an android. Mm-hmm. The whole arc, the whole mm-hmm. redemption arc is he's a, he's a soulless human being whose job it is to kill people who, you know, androids that look almost ab- absolutely human. And then he finally is saved by an android who sees value in his life and he runs away with one of them. If he's just another, if he's another washing machine shooting washing machines, there's no arc, right? Yeah, I, I, I agree with everyone except for uh, <laughs> Ridley, Ridley Scott. Scott. I think Ridley Scott is wrong. <laughs> About his own movie. That's all right, you know. But 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 yeah, but look, it's his choice. He's the director. But at the end of the day, um, from the point of view of, are we even supposed to say this meaning in the movie? There's no mm. meaning to his character if he's just another android. Bottom line. Yeah, I I like the first. I like the first theatrical release where there is no linking of the unicorn and there's you know. It, I think I I prefer to believe that he's not an android and and it is in the novel that he's a he's a hu- human so. human being yeah all yeah. right guys your homework is to oh to do this watch um, days dangerous days is the documentary it's available online it's the name of the original script by Hampton Fancher dangerous days it's a fun documentary this is uh, even better this is the um, Future Noir, The Making of Blade Runner by Paul Salmon. An amazing book, amazing book for all you sci-fi geeks. And then uh, our other buddy, Razor Fist, has an incredible hour 10. If you, if you want to understand the, the creation of a, a new genre, the nouvelle noir and the significance Blade Runner had on influencing Literally hundreds of movies, video games, you name it. Um, Rageaholic on YouTube, his his uh, documentary, Film Noir Archives, Film Noir Archives, Blade Runner is a must watch. All right, are you satisfied? Would you say at least in the top five, top ten, where, where would you rank this movie that you just saw for the first time fully last night? Well, I, I would have to spend some time digesting it. But for me specifically, th- this was a great film. I, I can see why other people might not like it, right? It is incredibly stylized. It, it is, it's weird, right? That's, that's one thing about this movie that's interesting. Is it's, a, it's got such a lot of weird elements, but they work really well. And I'm very impressed by that. I personally like a lot of the elements. Like I said, I was a big fan of Hugh Ferris drawings when I was like in college. And this draws from that inspiration. I like the 1930s film noir art deco look. I, I like everything about this movie. So it's for me personally, it's a great film. For other people, I could see why they, they maybe wouldn't like it. But no, I, I think this is very powerful, brilliant, and I can understand why so many other projects copied it. Yeah, for me, I, I love it. I'm very, very – I'm so happy we do this show, and I, can, I have the pleasure of watching things like this. 
So much fun. So much fun. Now, did you choose this or did I choose this? You chose this, right? You chose it. I chose, you chose it? it. All right. Yeah, because I never saw it before. Okay, so it's your choice. What are we doing next, dude? All right, we're going to have to go back in time a little bit, a little bit. A few years back, okay. we're going to go back to the what I would consider to be one of the greatest underdog stories of all time, Rocky, the Rocky! very first Rocky movie. We got to see Rocky. I you just, mentioned it earlier, and it yeah. was on my list in my brain, so I was like, okay, you know, what? we'll just do, we'll just do Rocky. I just watched. We just came across it, uh, you know, streaming, and my I, my wife sat down with me to watch the um, what is it, Rocky Four with Dolph Lundgren. The, the yeah. Rocky Four. We just watched that. So much slightly pop- different version. Slightly yeah, different was- version. A uh, little bit more popcorn fantasy. But the training sequence in Siberia is is a is a classic of eighties uh, movie making. But we're gonna go OG. We're gonna go back to see Adrian. We're gonna see Burgess Meredith. Oh my gosh, do I miss Burgess Meredith, the original Rocky? What a great choice. Are you ready, guys? In the meantime. Entertain yourself. Go to YouTube. Follow this man. Superlative channel. Mr. Reagan. Also, the Alpha Critic on Twitter. It is Mr. Reagan USA. I'm Sebastian Gorka. You've been watching Making Movies Great Again. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, keep your head on a swivel. Watch your six. Hold the line. Never give up. Never give in. And stay frosty. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.